We thank you all for leading us this morning so well in worship, Micah and team. All that's preparatory. All that's very, very important to prepare our hearts to hear from the Word of God. And now we come to this ultimate moment where we open the Bible together as a church family. And we huddle around this Word and we look for instruction from God and we look for application to be given to us from the Holy Spirit so that we can live strong Christian lives as we leave this place and shine light into the dark world that we go into. Turn with me in Peter, 1 Peter chapter uh, 4. That'll be the passage that I'm going to preach from this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Peter's inspired by God to write to Christians who have been dispersed in the age that Peter lived in, in the early ages of the church, and they're scattered abroad. And he writes to them this, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father, we've gathered here this morning because you did rise from the dead. And your son came back to life. And if that resurrection didn't happen, we'd be meeting in vain this morning, Father. But we thank you that you did raise Jesus from the dead to defeat sin and death forever. So it's in his name and in his act that we stand here this morning before your word, ready to be taught by you. Father, I pray that you have climb these steps with me, and that I'm not up here speaking as a vain human being, but I am here as your agent, humbly proclaiming your word to these people. And I ask this for your glory, and in the name of our Christ, amen. Okay, listen to me this morning. Right this minute, right this minute, Somewhere on the, on the planet, there is a man or a woman that's being persecuted for their belief in Jesus Christ. It's happening right this minute. We, we have documentation, we have organizations that track the condition of the church and the treatment of the saints. And we know that every minute of every hour of every day, 
someone is being persecuted extremely for their faith and their profession of Jesus Christ and Him being Lord in their life. It's dark somewhere right now in the world and there's someone that's meeting in a clandestine location. Maybe not even a candle burning for light because that could expose them and give them away. But they're meeting in secret because there are people hunting them for their Christianity, for their hatred of Christ. They are pursuing these people that are gathering in the name of Christ. There are people right now that might have this one page from the Bible. We have heard testimonies of people that all they had was one page out of the book of Luke. And there's 15 or 20 of them, and they gather in a secret place in the dark of night to devour that one page of Scripture. There's people that have to stand guard at the door while other people worship Christ to give an early warning sign in the event that the pursuers have discovered them. There's children that the only thing they know about Christianity is that it's dangerous. And mom and dad do it. And there's a lot at risk. There's worship services that are interrupted. I don't know if you remember, but last Easter in northern Africa, churches were bombed on Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the pinnacle of Christianity, the resurrection. There are people that set out to bomb churches because those people that are gathering there believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Colton Redforce, beware, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. Peter here says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial as it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This, this concept of persecution is real. It's been real since the days of Peter and the apostles, and it's very real today in 2012, all over the planet. And until the recent past, persecution has really been a third world country, other country dilemma. America's been very, very buffered from this issue of persecution. After all, we're one nation under God, indivisible. Our founding fathers founded the country on biblical principles. So we've not experienced extreme persecution in America. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the times are changing. Do you know what happened three weeks ago with a chicken restaurant? Don't read the news, don't watch the news and just get mad at the politicians and the, and the people speaking in the news. Understand and be informed about what is going on in America. We've got a president of Chick-fil-A who speaks out in an interview to the question of where do you stand on same-sex marriage. And in an interview he says, me and my company, we stand for the biblical principles of family and that marriage should be between one man and one woman and they should not be separated. What happened to Chick-fil-A as a result of just that statement? That's all it was. Well, persecution happened. Politicians, mayor of Boston, mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, what, what, did, what did he say? We will not allow Chick-fil-A into our city. We are an inclusive city. We will, not, we will exclude Chick-fil-A. 
Okay, it's how twisted the world is that we live in. Inclusive but exclusive. And one of the ombudsmen of, of, of the territory in Chicago said, they will not put a restaurant in my district, period, whatsoever. All the while, the state of Illinois has a law in the books that says marriage is between one man and one woman. So the politicians are going to break their own law. But persecution happened. And Chick-fil-A was boycotted. And perhaps even you have encountered conversations in Stephenville, Texas, about this issue. It's coming, church. It's coming. In our very midst, in 2010, we had Corpus Christi. Remember that? I wasn't here for that, but I know all about it. A play to present Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, as a homosexual? That's happened in Stephenville, Texas, two years ago. And that's coming again. And how are we going to respond when we're faced with the fiery trial of defending our Christ before a world that hates Him? Because the world does hate Jesus Christ. So last Sunday... I preached on Job chapter 1, and I told you last Sunday as I introduced that sermon, I said, I feel my responsibility as your pastor is to prepare you for the days of suffering that are certain to come. And Job had them very, very extremely, and you and I, perhaps, are going to have some very extreme times of suffering. This Sunday, you know, Job suffered for the sovereign glory of God. And that's what this Sunday sermon is about as well. But this Sunday we're going to dial in and get real specific because we are called on occasion to suffer for the name of Christ. So we're going to talk about being persecuted today by the world because we believe in Jesus Christ and we proclaim Him to be Lord and Savior of all. And so I really want us to get this this morning. We need to be ready because the fiery trial is coming to a town near you to a business near you, to your home, to your neighborhood. And you've got to be ready with gospel steel in your spine to glorify Christ through that persecution. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and what Peter says to these Christians who no doubt, very clearly if you read the full context of 1 Peter, are enduring trials for their faith in Jesus Christ. And we look at, first of all, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So stop for a minute and just consider what what Peter's doing here. First of all, I I want to just give you a real simple encouragement to understand the inspiration of Scripture. Okay? Quick side lesson. You didn't pay for this one. You're going to get this one for free. But this word, beloved, Peter is writing to the Christians at this time. He's writing to you and me under inspiration. Peter's not writing on his own. God inspired him to write these words. And God inspired him to say, Beloved. Those are the words of a pastor. That's a put my arm around you while I tell you some very, very hard truths. Come come close, beloved. Be ready. I'm going to tell you some things you need to know. So God's inspired this to be a very pastoral message. This isn't a John Wayne, hey, get ready, it's going to be tough, you just need to be ready to handle it. No, he's saying, hey, come here, I love you. And because I love you so much, I want you to be ready for something that's coming. 
And he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. In other words, plan for it. Fiery trials are coming. You should not be surprised whatsoever. Chick-fil-A should not be surprised. We should not be surprised when we're confronted with hostilities for the gospel's sake. Because this fiery trial has a purpose. Look at it in verse 12. Don't be surprised at this fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So there is a purpose behind these fiery trials. They are to test us and to prove us and to strengthen us. And we are not, as Peter says here, to consider them something strange that was happening to us. Job, that trial that Job went through last Sunday that we talked about, yeah, it, it surprised him. He didn't see where it came from, but he shouldn't be surprised because he's a servant of God's. And we're going to look and see here what a servant of God has to endure in this world that we live in. So it's not strange, it's to be expected. And let me say this very clearly, and you saw it last week in Job's story, and you're going to see it this week. Trials are not a sign of God's absence. I want to say that again. Trials are not a sign of God's absence or removal from your life. They are a sign of His purifying presence and purpose. They are a test. We're going to look at what this test is about in a moment. But God is not absent in our trials. God was not removed from Chick-fil-A's ordeal. God is not removed right now in some dark corner of the world where Christians are being pursued and hunted because they have one page of the Bible. God is not absent from that. And I will tell you that this passage this morning is a gift to you and me from God that we can be so warned and informed and we can now be prepared to face what is certain to be coming. So, we are sent out into trials. We are sent out into the world, as Colton read in Matthew 10. And these tests are coming. We know they are coming and we need to prepare for their arrival. And how do we do that? That's what we've been preaching on for weeks here. We do that by loading up on Scripture. If we face trials and tribulations and we're not full of Scripture, we're anemic, and we're going to buckle. But this Bible gives us a rigid gospel spine where we can stand the test, and we can succeed in what God has sent us out into the world to do. So we fill ourselves with Word, we pray continually, and we gather here. And we do this on a regular basis. This church is a gift from God to us to prepare us to go out into this world and to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Can you imagine not having the word to be warned about trials, but not having the church to encourage one another to get ready and to not have a pastor who's going to tell you, hey, get ready. These are gifts from the Lord. Take him at his gift this morning and embrace this message with all of your heart. So let's look at verse 13. We are not to be surprised. It's not something strange happened to us. But in verse 13, we are to rejoice. What? <laughs> rejoice at fiery trials? We are to rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So we're not to be surprised. We're to rejoice. That's nonsense to the non-Christian. 
It's not nonsense to you and me. If we know Jesus Christ and we know that he suffered, we should not be surprised that we're going to suffer. We'll see that here in a moment. So the Christian can rejoice when the fiery trial is upon him or her. But the lost world can't. They're going to say, you're stupid to rejoice in the midst of trial. So why are we to rejoice? Well, first, we're to rejoice because we share in Christ's sufferings. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ suffered in our place. Go read Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. And you will see that he was stricken and afflicted and wounded and pierced. He suffered. And so when we suffer, we are sharing in Christ's sufferings. And the ultimate gift that we have is to share anything in Christ. Christ was raised from the dead. We just sang about it. So if we share with him in sufferings, we share with him in victory and resurrection upon his return. And so we are to rejoice in the face of sufferings as we share in Christ's. And then we are to rejoice when his glory is revealed. Look at that, when his glory is revealed. When is that? Well, that is the second coming. So we are to rejoice right now when we suffer because we identify with Christ and we are to rejoice all the more as we look forward to that day when his glory will be revealed and he will come back and he will gather those that suffered with him and that identify with him and eternity will be spent in his presence with suffering gone and no more. So we are to rejoice because it's temporary but it enables us to identify with Jesus Christ. And so there's this present rejoicing and there's this future rejoicing. And there's scripture after scripture laced through this Bible to prepare us for suffering. Second Timothy, Paul writes, For all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I could go on and on. I had to trim scripture out of this sermon or I'd have you flipping right and left in the Bible and we'd never get anywhere. It's throughout the Bible. Prepare for suffering, identify with Christ, and rejoice in it. So I'm going to ask you a question right quick. I met with three or four men, four men, earlier this week for breakfast. And one of the men had been reading a book that had a concept in it that I really like, and I want to use it this morning. I want you to take an inventory real quick as you look at your faith and your stand in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you, are you a fan of Jesus Christ's or are you a follower? Are you a fan, a mere fan of Jesus Christ? Or are you a devoted follower of Him? Is your Christianity one where you've got a bumper sticker on the back of your car? Maybe you've got a fish? And you've got Scripture scripted on the walls of your house? You've got a welcome mat that says, God bless you, welcome in the name of Jesus Christ? Is that the extent of your Christianity? Are you merely a fan of Jesus like you're a fan of the Dallas Cowboys? Or are you a follower that no matter what comes your way when you are persecuted and when you suffer for the name of Christ, you will remain steadfast and you will not bend. You won't be arrogant. You won't be pugnacious. You'll turn the other cheek. But you will stand continually for the name of Jesus Christ. Are you a fan? Are you a follower? 
I urge you, I, I stand before you this morning to say, don't be a fan of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want fans. He wants followers that will go through the fiery trials, that will be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's who Jesus Christ is calling you to be. And that's who he's preparing you to be with passages like this. So we go to verse 14. These first two verses, verses 12 and 13, that's, that's Peter giving us some instruction on how we are to look at fiery trials and persecution. Now 14, 15, and 16, Peter gives us a qualification as we look at this concept of suffering. In verse 14, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, let me tell you, that when I read that, there's something that jumps out at me. And I say, Peter heard that from Jesus, point blank, verbatim, in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. Peter is just straight up giving us what Jesus said to the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, as, as I preach to you on these Sundays, I'd encourage you to write scriptures in the margins against the text that I'm preaching from. When I refer you to another passage like Matthew 5 here, just write in your margin, Matthew 5, 11 through 12, so that when you read this weeks from now, you'll have that cited, that cited right there, and you'll jump over and you'll say, wow, yeah, Jesus taught about that as well. So here we are at, first, at, at uh, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And in verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and per persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You hear the language of Peter in the teaching of Jesus? Rejoice when you are persecuted. You're blessed, Peter says here in 14, if you're exalted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you're persecuted and other, all kinds of evil is spoken against you falsely on my account, Peter has given us straight Jesus Christ here in this passage in 1 Peter 4. And we are to understand that it's a blessing to be persecuted for the name of Christ because we will identify with him. But he's going to qualify this in a moment. The, the key is for the name of Christ. And let's be careful about what we claim to be persecuted over. He's talking specifically about being persecuted for our profession of truth and, and faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see here that Peter says if you're insulted by man, you're actually blessed by God if you respond to this persecution in the right way. So verse 15, Peter gives us a caution. And verse 15 is huge, huge. Do not miss this. Do not read quickly over this and forget what Peter is warning us of here. Because in 14 he says, we are blessed if we're insulted for the name of Christ. But in 15 he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Oh, church, be careful. How many times have we been wrong? Have we been disobedient to God? Have we been sinful in the way that we've acted to other people? And we get persecuted 
and we quickly say, I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian. Peter knows that we could go there. God's inspired him to speak against this. We are not to suffer as a murderer. And by the way, none of us in here, I pray, are struggling with murder. But what did Jesus say about murder? Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you are angry in your heart towards your brother, you're committed, you've committed murder. Heart murder. Jesus is concerned about the heart. So we cannot suffer as a murderer and be angry towards our brothers and sisters and then call it persecution for our faith. We cannot be a thief or an evildoer. These are major categories of wickedness, of sinfulness. And then look at what Peter says. We cannot even be a meddler. What is a meddler? There's a murderer and a meddler. There's a big difference between those two if you ask me. A meddler is best described as a pest, <laughs> a nitpicking pest, a gossip. Okay? A meddler is a gossiper. A meddler is a divider, one that comes and works division between people. That's a meddler. And so Peter says, don't even be a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, and a meddler. And I think we struggle with meddling. I think we struggle with meddling. And we need to take this to heart here. When we meddle and cause problems amongst us, we can't say that we're being persecuted for the name of Christ. So take some inventory here this morning. I don't think you're literally murdering, but is your heart murderous? Does your heart covet to the point that you've practically stolen it? in your heart and in your mind? Are you devoted to evil doings? Even in private, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. And are you meddling in the world that you live in? Because I'm going to tell you, if you are being treated harshly because of one of these things, and we'll focus on meddling, this is not persecution. This is consequences for your wrong behavior. And Peter says here, don't you dare call that persecution for the name of Christ. Don't you dare go there. No, we're talking about persecution for believing in Jesus Christ and His substitution for you on the cross and His physical death and His real bodily resurrection on the third day and His ascension to the right hand of God where He lives to intercede for you and me every waking moment and His promised and guaranteed second coming. When you believe in that and you profess that and you're persecuted for that, that's what Peter is talking about here. Rejoice in that because you're identifying with your Christ who did all those things for you. So verse 16, he comes back says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Why not be ashamed? Peter tells us here, we should not be ashamed if we suffer as a Christian. We'll turn right over to Hebrews chapter 12. And I'll show you why we shouldn't be ashamed. Hebrews 12, uh, picking up in verse 2. Well, let's just read verse 1 and 2. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now watch in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you hear First Peter? It was joyful that he looked his eyes on that cross, and he endured it, and he despised the shame. He was not ashamed. He despised that shame. He laughed at that shame and said, I am not being shamed. I am glorifying God. And the impact of my submission to the will of the Father here is multitudinal in scope. I will save myriads upon myriads of people who will believe in me and my substitution for them on the cross. So our Lord and Savior himself was not ashamed to be persecuted for his loyalty to God the Father. And you, Peter says, and me should not be ashamed when we're persecuted for the name of Christ. Not for meddling. That's being persecuted for our name. But for the name of Christ. Let me show you in Acts chapter 5. Turn there. Let me show you this in action. And Peter is a part of this contingent. In Acts 5, the apostles are arrested for proclaiming the gospel. And I'll just I'll just I'll save a lot of the passage. Let's go to verse 40 of chapter 5 in Acts. And when they had called in the apostles, they're calling them in to pronounce a, a, a judgment on them. When they called in the, the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So Peter is in that group, and Peter's writing First Peter, and Peter's quoting Jesus from Matthew 5, summarizing what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. So these apostles were beaten and warned not to proclaim, and they left rejoicing, thankful that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name. You ready to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ? You ready to rejoice? You ready to make sure to consider that it's not something strange that's happening to you? The apostles were sold out. They were not mere fans of Jesus Christ. They were followers. They had the gospel spine of a rigid believer and faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So, let's not be ashamed. Let's not be surprised. Let's rejoice because it's a test that is preparing us for greater glory. Now let's look in verse 17 and 18. 12 and 13 were instruction to us. 14, 15, and 16 qualified what suffering should look like. And now, 17 and 18, Peter gives us the purpose for our suffering. This is not purposeless stuff that's happening to us. This is purposeful and designed by God, just as Job's sufferings were as well. So verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, 
What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So why do Christians suffer? Well, Peter says it's, it's a time for judgment, and that begins with the household of God. The household of God is the church of Jesus Christ. And so there's this judgment that begins within the household of God. That judgment is a test, and it's a fiery trial, yes. But we need to understand the importance here of sin and how sin has got to be dealt with. Remember in the garden when, when God said, Do not eat of that tree, the warning was, For if you do, you shall surely die. Sin is serious. Sin has grave consequences, literally. There's a death sentence placed on people who disobey God. And so suffering had to enter into the world, and that's called death. Sin brought in death, and death is suffering. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate sufferer because he was without sin, but he suffered on the cross in the place of you and me should we believe in his suffering substitution. And so now we have the household of God, and there's this time of judgment that has to begin. Well, we suffer, and when we do, we identify with Christ, our chief sufferer. And this suffering that happens in the church, it's a refining fire. You know how you take steel and you temper it with fire and you pound on it? That's what's happening in the Christian life. We are being refined and purified and strengthened and molded into Christ-likeness. And the ultimate act Christ did was to suffer. And so we are being refined. This persecution that happens for the name of Christ is a refining fire that purifies us. But look at what happens in the rest of verse 17. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Well, there's a fiery trial coming for them too. But theirs is not refining fire. Theirs is consuming fire. Destruction. Eternal death. Not strengthening and tempering by the refining fire so that we are more Christ-like and worthy to be called His disciples. No, there's a consuming fire waiting on those that do not believe in the gospel of God. So fire is a result. This, this fiery process is a result of sin in the world. And the church, the followers of Christ, are refined by fire. But the ungodly, those that do not believe in God, are consumed by His fire. And so this persecution is a judgment of refining that begins with us. But there's a judgment of consuming that will come to those who don't believe the gospel. Verse 18. And if the righteous is scarcely, this is a restatement, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? So we are saved. When it says scarcely saved, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, that means saved with difficulty, saved with trial in in our lives. If that's what happens to us, and there's no trials to save the ungodly, they're going to be consumed for all of eternity. So God saves through suffering. Christ suffered, and suffering is attributable to original sin and what we need to know this morning is every sin will be dealt with period no matter what there's not a sin one that will not go punished in the history of mankind 
and it's dealt with in one of two ways. Sin is dealt with either on the cross of Jesus Christ or sin is dealt with in the last day when judgment happens for all of eternity. And the followers in Jesus Christ, God will see that their sin was dealt with on that cross and he will forgive them of her sins because he will see his suffering servant Jesus Christ in their place. And that sin has been dealt with. His wrath was poured out on that sin. It was burned up and, and, and refined by the fire of God. But for those that don't know Jesus Christ, when God looks at them on that last day and he sees no Christ in their lives, they will be judged and dealt with for eternity. And that's the consuming fire. So we're talking about serious issues here. We're talking about sin being dealt with and the, the purpose of persecution in helping us to identify with Christ and become more like him and tempered and strengthened so that we can endure all the more until he comes again. So now we go to verse 19. And we have from Peter here a final instruction. When he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we are to trust in God in these trials. And we are to entrust our souls to him. And he says that we're, we're, when we suffer according to God's will, we are to do this. So those who suffer in God's will, let me give you three things about who those people are from this passage. Those who suffer in God's will share in Jesus Christ's sufferings. He suffered in their place. Number two, those who suffer in God's will are insulted in Christ's name. That's who he's talking about in this passage. And number three, they will suffer, those who suffer in God's will are suffering as Christians, not as evildoers. So my plea to you this morning is to not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you when it's a fiery trial attributable to your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised by that. And my plea to you is, start right now preparing for that day, because it's coming. Pour scripture into your soul. Pray for, for endurance when this suffering is coming. And continue to gather with us and live life with us so that you'll be strong and you'll have supporters with you when that day comes. Let me tell you about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in closing. You know Dietrich Bonhoeffer? German pastor during World War II. Lutheran pastor. And he, for the sake of Jesus Christ, stood against Adolf Hitler. He was not a Jewish man. He was a Gentile, just like you and me. But he was a defender of the defenseless, the Jews that were being annihilated by the Third Reich. Bonhoeffer grew up in Germany. He was trained in the seminaries in Germany. He was a German pastor in the Lutheran church, the Lutheran church that Martin Luther birthed in the Reformation. He was an opponent to Hitler. He had a radio address one time in 1939, I believe it was, where they, uh, the radio broadcasters put him on to preach a sermon. And he preached a sermon about being loyal to Jesus Christ and not to the Fuhrer. The Third Reich was going around calling churches to pledge allegiance to Adolf Hitler. 
And Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached a sermon on the radio that said, no, we pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ and him alone. In the midst of that sermon, the Gestapo monitored all the radio waves. They literally unplugged the radio station in the middle of that sermon, so that couldn't continue. The Third Reich went to the churches in Germany and called them to endorse Hitler and the Third Reich and to be under state control. Many, many, many German pastors caved, thinking that if they could be a part of the Third Reich, they might be able to influence them for good instead of evil. And they were sold down the river. Dietrich Bonhoeffer pleaded with pastors, and he never aligned with the Third Reich. He preached continually wherever he was against anti-Semitism. And he, for that very reason, was hunted by the Gestapo for years. Hunted. And he ran, and he was in hiding. Yet he boldly had a gospel spine of steel and continued to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ against the Third Reich. He was captured in 1943, and he was incarcerated in in gulags and, and uh, concentration camps for two years. And uh, in 1945, he was killed. He was executed by hanging. Hitler ordered it. And two weeks after he was hung, um, the Allied troops invaded into Germany and began the end of the war. Three weeks after he was hung, Adolf Hitler committed suicide. He was that close to surviving the camps and enduring through the war. But he didn't make it. And let me read you the testimony of uh, the last five minutes of his life. The doctor, the German doctor that was there to observe those that were executed to make sure they were dead, he observed Bonhoeffer's last five minutes. And here's what he testifies to. On the morning of that day, between 5 and 6 o'clock, the prisoners were taken from their cells. There were several men with Bonhoeffer. And the verdicts of the court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed. So devout. And so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer, and then he climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed, gospel steel in his spine. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man so entirely submissive to the will of God. I can tell you Dietrich Bonhoeffer embraced 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. In fact, he preached on Matthew 10, 16 through 33 that Colton read. And this man believed that these fiery trials were tests designed by God to give God glory and to prepare him to meet God one day. So Bonhoeffer thought that the plain duty of the Christian was to suffer, and it was a privilege and honor to suffer with those who suffered and with his Christ who suffered for him. And he knew that it was a privilege to be allowed by God to partake in the sufferings for his glory. And I ask you this morning, you, you probably are not enduring persecution right now for your faith. I think I might know about it. If I don't know about it, I want to hear about it. Come meet with me this week. I want to pray with you and, and strengthen you in that. But the day is coming 
even right here in America, where persecution will be visiting us. And I pray that we will be a church ready for it, a church that can rejoice in it, not in an arrogant, smug way, but in a humble way where we rejoice in identifying with Jesus Christ who suffered immeasurably beyond what we can even imagine. And so with that, let's now pray and ask God to prepare us for these times. Father, we thank you for 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. That block of text alone, we are thankful for that. Father, I ask that you would allow it to penetrate our hearts. We ask that you would make it true of us that we would not be surprised when we face persecution. We ask that you'd make it true of us that we would rejoice and be glad And we ask that that would be because we are identifying more with Jesus Christ. Not that we're mere martyrs for our own sake, but that we'd be suffering for the sake of Jesus in his name. Father, there are people in this world right now gathering in absolute terror, but they're still gathering. There are people in this world right now that have one page of Luke that they're devouring with all their hearts. And we pray for them. We pray that those words on that page of Luke would come alive in their lives and give them the strength that they need to persevere. Father, we sit in this room right now. There's seven or eight different translations of the Bible. We've got Bible study notes in our Bible. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. Father, help us not to take that for granted. Call us to pour that Bible into us because there could be a day where we don't have access to it. Father, through it all, as we persevere through the fiery trials that you ordain in our lives, be glorified and strengthen us and make us more Christ-like as we look to that day when he returns. And I ask this in his namesake and for your glory. Amen.